Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. to Dear Hank and John. Or, as I like to think of it, Dear Devoki and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers and sometimes two friends answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon, but probably not <laughs> Wimbledon today. Devoki, <laughs> do you know why bacteria are so bad at math? No. Well, let me give you a hint. Do you know how, they, how a, a bacteria would multiply? It would divide. Can't do it that way. <laughs> Can't multiply by dividing. Got it. Uh, I got it. That took me a time. second. I was like, I was mostly worried that I was going to be wrong about bacteria. <laughs> <laughs> My impulse anytime anyone asks me a question is like, I'm going to be wrong. So oh, no. Yeah. I'm on no, the right podcast. It's a, it's a huge it's a huge problem when you're like the science guy. And it's mm. like you, when you get something wrong. Yeah. Like, well, let's just all admit that everyone is fallible and that also sometimes I totally forgot the difference between a prokaryote and a eukaryote. <laughs> it happens. Um, it happens. It doesn't happen as much since we started doing microcosmos. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That has ha- helped me. Like, I think yeah. I, I've realized how little I knew about microbes ever since I started working on microcosmos. Yes. But then I also working on microcosmos has reali- helped me realize how little everyone knows about microbes. That's, yeah. Where we're, we're like, oh, we'd like to make a, a video about this thing. And it's like, well, <laughs> enjoy your two minute long video because that's <laughs> yeah. everything humans know about it. Yep. Exactly. So for people who you probably have heard Deboki's name at the very least uh, in the credits of this podcast, because Deboki is our editorial assistant, which means that she looks at questions. And then we every uh, like week before the podcast, Deboki and I talk about science questions uh, to pick out which ones we might I might answer. And uh, and Deboki does a bunch of research um, to see if maybe there's something interesting to say about these topics. And during those phone calls, uh, we make a podcast for just the two of us that I find (laughs) very entertaining. It's very good. (laughs) It it moves fast and we get through like two questions, but it's very good. (laughs) We're just talking. We're like, this can't be right. Yeah. There's a lot of it. Someone must have done this study before. 
someone must have have blindfolded a dolphin and <laughs> taped its mouth shut and stuck a fish in to see if they can smell somehow. Yes, uh, which that we, is a conversation we, were, we, just, we just had. had. Um, and uh, and also, Dabuki works on a bunch of other stuff. Hosted Crash Course uh, Organic Chemistry and works on Microcosmos Journey to the Microcosmos YouTube channel, and is the host of the Tiny Matters podcast. Uh, which you can also listen to probably in the very app you're listening to this on, if you'd like a little yes. bit more of that. I guest yeah. hosted recently, so you can go listen to my episode. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Hank yes. answered my questions for once, so it was a good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we've got uh, we've got a bunch of science questions, and we're it's just science day is what we get to do today <laughs> yes. here on on. Uh, Dear Hank and Deboki, because that's what we're good at. And we don't have John here to, like, um, analyze Huck Finn or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) I could try, but that is not my area of expertise. The blindfolding dolphins. Yeah, definitely. I'd be like, I could tell you what Mark Twain would do if you blindfolded him and put him in a pool. Um, (laughs) What, 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 how did we meet? Just because you're a YouTuber? Yeah, I think just because I started working for you. I think that's that's what <laughs> happened. <laughs> I think yeah. the first time we met was when I interviewed for, okay. for this job. Um, yeah, but I, I, I had known yeah. of you before then because oh. I because probably because of Nicole. Yeah, probably because of Nicole. Sent had and like just peripherally through that. Yeah. Which is Nicole is a producer on Crash Course who who Yeah. Was also was a YouTuber. Awesome. Um, yeah. You know, in quotation marks. Like, what was a YouTuber or is a YouTuber anyway? <laughs> yeah. Made YouTube well, videos. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we do things that YouTube has managed to take from us and put on. Like, when I say take from us, it's because we we gave it. We gave YouTube <laughs> <laughs> our things and we're like, do yeah. with it what you yeah. will. Yes. Throw I will, it into I will an algorithm. Sign the implicit license that uh, that every creator signs when they upload a video without knowing yeah. that you're signing it. Yep. Um, so uh, let's just get started here. And this first question is from, I think, Mace, but maybe Macy. Uh, dear Hank and Deboki, how do you smell underwater? I just watched a clip from the BBC's The Mating Game about flatworms. Very cool. Uh, and it says flatworms are blind, but they find their way by smell. But how could you smell underwater? This also begs the question, what does water smell like? Smell you later. <laughs> Mace. I like the, uh, I wonder what water smells like. I feel like there's a touch of what color is air to that yeah. question. Well, air has a color. <laughs> I mean, does it? It does. Do you want to know? Yeah. I think, John, I think that we've had, we, you, you and I have you had this the... conversation before. Yes. If yes, you would like have. to see the color of air, go outside and look up on a day that isn't cloudy. Yeah. What else is it? <laughs> There's nothing there. It's just air. Mm-hmm. So just stick your head into the ocean, and that is the smell That's the of sm- water. Sniff it up, and what it smells like <laughs> is pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it will not smell good. <laughs> Please don't do that, people. Yeah, I mean, I like we've all. I assume that we've all had water go up your nose. Uh, the thing also is that your nose is always wet. Like there's always moisture in your nose. Yeah. So just like the smell of air, the smell of wet has to be something that you just filter out or or doesn't yeah. get detected. Yeah, our brain is just like ruled out whatever the smell of our own mucus yeah. is 
Unless yeah. it's really bad, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we've all had a nose. So we know sometimes <laughs> suddenly there is a smell. Um, just a little a little one. Yeah. And also every morning when you wake up. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Bodies. The pain mm-hmm. is because of uh, osmotic pressure, I think. So like you put um, salty water up your nose and, it, and salt will go into your nose, like across the cell membranes. Mm. And if you put fresh water up your nose, then the salt will come out of your cell membranes. I see. And both of those are unpleasant. But if you put the yeah. right salinity of water in your nose, it's basically undetectable. Oh. Just like having snot in your nose is basically undetectable, except that it's I see warm or whatever it would be coming out of your neti pot. Yeah. Which neti pots seem to be a bad idea. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I've never done it and People's, it scares me. People keep having problems with it. So yeah, I just wanted I, to do, not be an endorsement. <laughs> we're, we're really hard on the non-endorsements right now. <laughs> like, don't stick your head into water to smell it. Don't, you, don't just like, sh- like really deeply inhale a bunch of seawater. Though I, I guess that, that is a question. When you use a neti pot, can you smell the water in the neti pot? I bet. Oh, gosh, I found out a fact. So (laughs) I don't know if, have you ever uh, had an IV? Yes. So when you first get an IV, sometimes they will flush it with saline. They'll like hit you with like a syringe full of saline water. This is this is a little bit terrible, but it's it's true. (laughs) And so I guess we'll just live live with it. Um, Okay. uh, and, And sometimes when that happens, patients will report that they can smell it. And that's mm. very weird that something is being put into your veins and then you can smell it, especially yeah. because it's saline. It's just yeah. salt water. And so that that's what when you said, can you smell the, the neti pot water? That's what it made me think of. Yeah. But you're not actually smelling the salt water. What is happening is that that saline was sitting around in that plastic syringe for a while, possibly quite a while. And uh-huh. some of the volatiles from the plastic dissolve in the saline uh. and then it goes into your blood hits your lungs evaporates into your lungs and you breathe it out oh and we know that, like and i'm not like i fact checked this to like six ways from sunday like yeah. it seems so wrong but it is the correct and you if you prep a saline flush uh in like in, and then use it immediately this the smell does not happen and it only wow. happens with plastic syringes that have been sitting around for a while wow Oh, wow. And so, like, they've been able to, like, like, do you know, like, were people, like, tracking these compounds? Like, were they measuring what was coming no. out of people's mouths? But they no. just, like, they know that this is the yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. It was like a, it, like, any nurse will have heard this from their yeah. patients. Um, that, that like, some patients, and not not everyone notices it, but yeah. um, that they ha- there's, like, this sweet smell of from getting the, the saline flush. Oh, um, which... I told that to, I get a regular infusion for my colitis and I told that to my nurse and I came back in uh, recently and she was like, I've been telling everybody. I'm like, (laughs) you shouldn't do that in this town. People hate plastic in this town. (laughs) (laughs) I hope she's citing you. (laughs) I hope everyone is like, that is my anchoring fact for the day. Uh She was like, are you the one who told me? And I'm like, I am. That was me. That's what I do for a living. I tell people (laughs) facts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Once yeah, you they, start, you just can't stop. Yeah. I think <laughs> like, they, I, you guys have to hear about this horrible thing I learned. Yeah. They did this study like ages and ages ago. And like, I don't know, it was like 
10, 10 plus years ago and just like hasn't spread around. And I think it's because people don't want to say it. It's like, yeah, you don't want to like eat out of a, like a plastic thing you microwaved it in. Cause it might taste plasticky. Uh, yeah. but, but you said it was like a sweet smell. It kind of smells sweet. Yeah. Huh. So but it's like, like not too bad. No, it's not. But, but I am like, I don't know if I want that stuff in me. Yeah. I guess it evaporates quickly. Otherwise you yeah. couldn't smell it. Yeah. If it's happening pretty fast, it sounds like. like Yeah. Weird. So Bodies weird. are so weird. So weird. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but, so I, I'm confident that I can't smell underwater. Yeah. Uh, because I'm not set up for that. Yeah. But can You're I, not, But probably. like flatworms, flatworms is just like what you mean by smelling is basically tasting. It's just probably I was looking chemicals. up like what their organs are. I think they ha- they're supposed to have some little organs in their heads that help out with smelling, but I couldn't find too much more about how they work. But there are a lot of very fun like animal smelling methods. Like for a while, researchers thought that like maybe mammals like aren't great at smelling underwater, but mm-hmm. they found some that are. So there's the star nosed mole, which actually the way it breathes a super smell. It's so cool. It blows bubbles out of its nostril and then like sucks them back back in in. (laughs) to smell. And they were able to do this, use this to like follow earthworms and fish scents. So like, I don't know how. Are they underwater? They're like underwater moles? Let's see. I mean, I don't see why not. I think they're still using, at the very least, I think they're doing this underwater. They're semi-aquatic and found in low elevation areas. So Yeah. Living their under underwater lives, yeah. That, I mean, that makes sense. And so they blow the they blow the bubble, and the, but they don't let it like escape and float up. They suck it back in. Yeah. They probably do that a bunch of times, and yeah. then whatever is in the water is evaporating into the bubble. Yeah, we can detect that. Yep, that's which is so, so cool. cool. I think that that's so, so cool. weird. That is, it's I guess, so cool. if you want to smell the water, that's what you have to do. You have to go <laughs> like really <laughs> yeah. little ones. Yeah. Or like if you're a shark, apparently they they have these nasal cavities. I think they're called nares. And so one side of the nair is for pulling water in and the other is for letting the water go out. And so like along the passage, it passes these sensory cells and that's how like it smells and processes the water. How are we distinguishing that from taste? Because if I like put some like Coca-Cola in my mouth and swished it around and spat it out, but yeah. I have to have it come in one side and then I'd spit out at the other side. I'd basically be a smelling like a shark. True. Um, I don't know. Is I don't there know like how brain that parts that are differently involved? Uh, Maybe. I That's my assumption. It I also might just be physiology where it's like, well, is it using the nose holes? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that might basically be what it is. Cause this is like, so part of the mystery is also, and why we were talking about blindfolding dolphins is there's this idea that, <laughs> yeah. um, cetaceans, cetaceans, whales yeah. and dolphins, mm-hmm. they can't smell. Um, but in 2008, there was some kind of dissection of a whale that revealed some sort of olfactory bulb. So maybe they do. Um, and so like, you know, there's the question of like, how do we find out? Like, how do we even know? Are right. they smelling things? Can like, if we want to like test yeah. out what, what, sorry, did you say what kind smell. of whale it was? Um, no, I did not. Let me it see. It doesn't really have... matter because no matter what, it's going to be really hard to tape its eyes shut and its mouth <laughs> shut <laughs> Yeah, and be like, you can only smell. Yeah. <laughs> I but, think it was a bowhead. It was, it was yeah, part of a bowhead hunt. That's um, big. yeah. 
Yeah, so but I don't is, think they're going to be their like nose willingly. is their blowhole. Yeah. So, the, but and I feel like they're not breathing in through their blowhole. Yeah. At that point, it's just tasting. So the, we also what, while we what were, apparently it was is they're not smelling underwater. So maybe it's just when they're coming up in the air. Oh, okay. So maybe that's like the difference. So they can smell, but maybe it's not. That's the trick is it's not underwater. We were, and we also found a study where they took dolphins and like put a stinky fish bucket and a not stinky fish bucket and like measured yeah. how much they sniffed the stinky fish bucket. Yeah. But that was also out of the water. So there was like, yes, they are using their blowholes to smell with. Right. But yeah, so, not underwater. So, yeah. So I yeah. Love the idea the, the... of like imagining a dolphin like a dog where it's just like got its nose down in the ground. It's like, <laughs> Except it's like on the top of yeah. its head. It's just trying to sniff a stinky fish bucket. Yeah, it's it's looking. It's trying to find <laughs> find out where that smell is coming from. Yeah, but yeah, I think that's the the, the way we test out how they're able to smell. But like you said, like we don't know. Are they tasting the water? Are they smelling it? Like what's mm-hmm. going on? I don't I don't know. Well, it does make me kind of feel like I just have one very bad nose and it's my mouth and one very <laughs> mm. good nose and it's my nose. Yeah. It's like the but mouth which one would you rather do without? Like if one had to be blind to what it's oh, doing. Oh, okay. I would. I was like, I need my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can't just take away my mouth. I need <laughs> right, that. Right, right. Yeah. For like, it's the, the nose is basically a backup. Fair. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, I think that I'd rather lose my i don't know i guess that's where it gets confusing because you're like if i if i lose the sense of taste in my mouth do i still have a sense of taste through my nose yeah i think that you would but you wouldn't get that like that like big good strong taste thing which is yeah the, the overwhelming salt sweet bitter sour right umami yeah thing which is very. So my good. bodies are confusing. They're so complicated. Oh, I'd have to think. I'd have to think about it a lot. If if there was an some kind of, you know, all powerful alien who wanted to just make up my day bad. Yeah. <laughs> so be like, I'm gonna take away one. I'm like, why? Yeah. And they're like, yeah. I don't know. This is. I'm a. I'm not the. I'm the alien that does the hypotheticals. Yeah. They made me this way. <laughs> The alien that does the hypotheticals. <laughs> That's the job title. <laughs> but flatworms, just what do they have just like an organ that that detects chemicals in the water? I think so. Yeah. I think that's the way they work. Yeah. So they're just processing the chemicals. Um, yeah. And so like maybe like the person's asking, like, do they become nose blind to the salt part? I assume so. I assume at some point to pro- like if you're living in the ocean, your brain doesn't like process the salt as part of that but yeah yeah i think that that there's evolutionary advantage to not thinking that the normal baseline environment has a smell or is even detectable yeah you you only get deviations from the baseline different organisms like especially if you're talking about like organisms that like living in salt water like do they need an optimal sure, salinity? Sure. Like, yeah, some kind of salinity There is kind of detector. an adjustment there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like there, there's probably some, some like if you are a saltwater fish and you're entering an estuary, you'd be like, ah, this does not taste. This tastes <laughs> different. Right. But have you ever been swimming in the ocean and then drank fresh water? Probably. 
So this is the thing that I've noticed as a uh, Mm -hmm. Florida boy. When we used to go to the beach, we'd be like at the beach all day. And then you go to the little shower at the side of the beach Mm -hmm. to get all the sand off of you. And when the water would go in your mouth from the shower, it would taste sweet because you had had so much salt water in your mouth all day. Oh. Yeah. Additionally, I'm wondering if, like, what is the daily, like, dose of sodium if you spend all day in in the ocean? Mm -hmm. Like, people worry a lot about, like, I don't want to have too much salt. Yeah. yeah, it's like I can't have an extra bag of potato chips or those fries yeah. or I'll get the low sodium Tostitos. Yeah. But you got to eat a lot of salt when you're at the yeah. ocean. It's do so whales salty. have heart problems because of the salt? <laughs> <laughs> do, they, do they need the low sodium ocean? <laughs> I, think, I think the whales haven't figured out. I think they evolved yeah. their way out of that problem, but not us. Yeah. No. I'd like to know what I. Yeah. Yeah. How much. I feel like somebody has to have done a study to see how much, like, on average, a surfer consumes of sodium in one surf session. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's sodium, not that much. You, it's sodium. not like you drink it. Yeah. All right. This next question comes from Jenna, who asks, Dear Hank and Deboki, after watching Hank's recent video about back pain, I have a question. Did bipedal dinosaurs ever get back pain? Pachycephalosaurus and Protachiopteryx, Jenna. <laughs> I feel like I did great on that second one. <laughs> it was perfect. Um, did dinosaurs ever get back pain? I know that we can sometimes see evidence of uh, different, you know, disease in yeah. fossils. Uh, so I would be surprised if we had no, no, like there was no dinosaur we ever found that had some evidence of, of like arthritis in its back. Yeah, so there is not a bipedal dinosaur, but there was a dinosaur called a phytosaur, which apparently is crocodile shaped. Where they oh, crocodile found... shaped, but not a crocodile because crocodiles. Are... No. Okay. No. Um, and so they found spondyloarthritis. So that's like bone yeah. mass growing between the joints. Oof. So like that probably hurt. Yeah. But uh, otherwise, like the main, the main thing that like maybe they could have back pain is that researchers were looking at uh tyrannosaurus and they found that they had an inner vertebral discs oh which just is, like us yeah like us so they're that's like not like reptiles reptiles are more like the ball and socket joints like our hip joint uh so this was like kind of a surprise but <laughs> does that mean that they hurt their back does it mean that they had a herniated disc we don't know <laughs> like, we don't know what that would look like for the t-rex so yeah or maybe we do but we haven't seen it yet well, here's, I mean, there were a lot of T-Rexes over a long period of time. There's no way, there was n- there was no T-Rex that didn't get a herniated disc. Some T-Rex at some point had back pain. It was mm-hmm. definitely not as common as it is in people, because we are terrible yeah. at having backs. But <laughs> it does make me wonder about, like, you know, Apatosaurus. Like mm-hmm. Or like the the big the big long neck boys. It seems like a yeah. lot. Yeah, seems like a lot does. to to work. Through. And like, like if you wake up with a bad neck one day, but that is your entire mode of survival. <laughs> like, what do you do? <laughs> you wake up with a bad neck, but you're a dinosaur that's almost all neck. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, do giraffes get like little cricks in their neck? I mean, giraffes like neck fight, which is wild. Ah. 
They, yeah, it just that's, seems so painful. Yeah, they whack each other with their horns on their necks. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. It, it seems like if you can get up to that level of nonsense, they're probably pretty sturdy. Yeah. But, but again. But we I've, got to this I've, level of nonsense and how sturdy true. are we? <laughs> we get up to so much nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I bet. Like, how weird again, would dinosaurs think we are? Like, would they look at us oh. and be like, "Do you like? How do you guys function?" Right? Like, yeah. I mean, there's there is no doubt in my mind that every single uh, conscious organism would find any other species of conscious organism just so entirely, perfectly, absolutely bizarre. Just be, like, yeah. n- no way you're like that. Yeah. That's how do you live like that? Are you serious? You put you put your wet face hole on the other person's wet face hole and that's like great. Yeah. That's like one of your favorite things about life. No. I mean, I was just I spent the weekend watching dogs sniff each other's butts. So yeah. Like, that's all I have yeah. to offer. It's like probably, we don't do that. That's probably <laughs> extremely normal. To like that behavior to us is way more normal than whatever we do to aliens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, I can't really see. I can't really see uh, being a species that sniffs butts for a living. Um, no, I'm glad we. I'm glad we skipped that. Yeah, but I think back back pain is probably just a way of life for a lot it, of animals. I mean, what one thing I definitely know is that everybody's got pain. <laughs> like there is there is kind of not a nice way to go out um, yeah naturally yeah. uh so yeah. everybody's got everybody's got pain um especially at the end yeah yeah i don't have a, a joke to add to that. yeah that probably would have <laughs> i like appreciate you not putting a joke on the end of that one um did do we know much about like dinosaur injuries more broadly yeah, so I did find a paper that was very fun to look at uh, where they were just like, what do these fossils tell us about how, how dinosaurs have gotten hurt? Uh, they documented percentages of things that were injured, like 25% of injuries were to the upper limbs and shoulder girdle. And I just really like the idea of this like table existing that's just like <laughs> do- like, like school nurse for do- dinosaurs. <laughs> like, yeah. These are the injuries they got. Yeah, so sure. there there are stress fractures that they're like can be caused by repeated sudden forceful movements such as leaping to escape attack or grappling with powerful mm-hmm. prey. And like I just imagine that's like what most of their life is. So Yeah. I think that'd just be hard. I'm glad I'm not a dinosaur. Any kind. Yeah. I bet it would be bad to be every kind of dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, next question is from Luke, who asks, Dear Hank and Deboki, is my perception of time related to my heart rate? <laughs> Moderately warm, Luke. Uh, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know if you're asking this because I ju- of the study, but I just saw a study published about this. Like, yeah. Like a week or two ago. Yeah, I remember seeing this too and like immediately thinking of it when I saw this question um, because basically researchers at Cornell, they hooked up some undergrads to electrocardiograms to measure like the length of their heartbeat and then also had a like tone set up that would like, like, so it was a computer hooked up to the 
the electrocardiogram as well that like would release a, like play a tone when I think when they're the heartbeat or something. Um, and so basically, okay, sorry. I, so researchers at Cornell, they hooked up undergrads to electrocardiograms to measure the length of their heartbeats. And they also asked them to estimate the length of these audio tones. Okay. And so there was like a correlation between, um, a, a lower heart rate um, was connected to a, I think, a longer sense of time. Sure. It was kind of confusing to understand, like, how, whether, like, it was, like, the length of the heartbeat or, like, the heart rate. I was trying to read a few different things, and each article and press release said, kind of phrased it differently. Uh-huh. But my understanding yes. is that basically, yes, your heartbeat <laughs> is related to the way that you estimate time and you understand time. That's weird. And this is all there. There's been a lot of uh, sort of hemming and hawing about the the perception of time, especially mm-hmm. in you know high stress situations. That it seems like time slows down, and then mm-hmm. there's a uh, you know like we when your time flies when you're having fun. That's definitely sure true. <laughs> and yeah. uh, time goes very slow when you're very bored. That's mm-hmm. quite easy to measure. I love laboratory studies about boredom. Because <laughs> um, people sometimes say that they don't they don't get bored. Uh, they're like, I never get bored. But like scientists can induce boredom so easily. <laughs> they have procedures for it. Yeah, they, they've got well, like they're like games that they're like you have to play this game, and the game is just so bad. <laughs> it's like a computer game, and you have to just do the same thing forever and it's like oh people God. people are like i hate this a lot and it, it is takes it is not and i like i don't know there's some there's something else to it i don't remember exactly but i just love the idea that there are like known protocols for inducing boredom that yeah. like bored boredom scientists use the same technique every time so that they can have like comparable research yeah <laughs> like standard boredom induction I I hope that they messed up the first few times and it was like this game is still too exciting. <laughs> yeah, they're actually, having fun. I'm, I'll do this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've I've played some games that are just me doing the same thing over and over again forever and yeah. I like for some reason my brain's like, yeah, that seems different. Yeah. Every time I play the game of life, I do the exact same yeah. thing. I like, will go for the same cards. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I haven't even played it in a long time and I know exactly uh, for what a I For a second, I thought, you, I thought you meant just like waking up in the morning and oh, yeah. doing also, your day. I, yeah. <laughs> I pick out the same cards every morning <laughs> for my nightstand. <laughs> These are my day cards today. <laughs> maybe, I sh- maybe I should have a bunch of cards on my nightstand to be like, just yeah. pick out which one I'm going to do today. Be like, today... Yeah must call a friend today yeah. you must walk outside for your stupid <laughs> mental health today today you must eat a corn dog and i just like i'm like oh thanks cards you really yeah. got it i think that's what astrology is i think you just wake yeah. up and you let the horoscope tell you tell me what tell me what, what you i should do today be, it's like be very careful going on the stairs i'm like all right card i will <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that's probably for, for every day. You should always yeah. be careful going on the stairs. I'm 42 years old and I got bad ankles. <laughs> that's what you need the cards for. <laughs> They're like, today's a bad ankle day. Yeah, please tell me. <laughs> did, we answer, did, we, did we answer this question? I think so. I think, yeah. yes, your perception gotcha. of time is related to your heart rate. My perception of how is dependent on who wrote the article <laughs> I'm reading. <laughs> 
45 participants monitored with O. Oh, sorry. He's thinking <laughs> Electrocardiogram, but, but the book he wrote in the notes, egg. It's E-G-G. Yeah. But, <laughs> like, but imagine if it was an egg. Why did the, how did eggs get involved? <laughs> Is this a separate study where they had to do something with an egg? <laughs> Maybe it's like an egg timer. Sorry, that I like, and then egg was connected. Like in the next line, the same typo. I think it's the autocorrect. Egg is yeah, connected to a computer. Got, I think it got autocorrected. <laughs> Man, this is a great experiment. All right. Another question is from Ray, who asks, Dear Hank and Deboki, when I'm sick and my mom tells me to go for a walk and get some fresh air, does this do anything? Or is it just a saying that comes from when we knew a lot a lot? less about illness. I know that John has mentioned TB spreading out to the American West when doctors sent people there for fresh air, but that obviously didn't cure it. Is there some real science to fresh air as a cure, not just something you say, Ray? I'm going to venture a guess Mm -hmm. that it can't hurt. Yeah, I think that's sort of the the gist of what I got. Uh-huh. I think at the very least, ventilation is good for you ventilation a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, you like can. I think we saw that with COVID, where like having airflow is just mm-hmm. generally a good thing. Um, so I think that's a big part of what fresh air does for us, especially if yeah. a lot of us like I spend all day at my desk, and I feel like when I go outside after a long day at the desk, I'm like, oh, <laughs> like. I feel like I can breathe again. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a, there's like a wild amount of science about this actually, like, like building ventilation and like yeah. the fluid dynamics of air moving throughout a building is kind of a really big deal. And it is a part of how engineers are Shinny Samara, who did uh, the crash course engineering series studied uh, like air movement in buildings, which in, oh. in her engineering degree. Uh, That's so and cool. that was like, like, and there can be areas where air, like the ventilation kind of doesn't reach it. And so it gets mm. very stagnant and can have a buildup of carbon dioxide uh, from people, uh, but also like VOCs from carpet or paint or any other off gassings. Um, oh, wow. And so like, it's like less healthy air and yeah. you got to like hit all the cracks with your ventilation strategy. Wild. Um yeah. Uh, yeah. So carbon dioxide is a big one and it is just good to get out of a house and into like the norm, like your house will always have a level, an elevated level of carbon dioxide because mm-hmm. it's, it's got people in it and, yeah. uh, it's, you know, sealed from the outside. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the two things yeah. you need for CO2 yeah. buildup. So, the, and, and like, that does just kind of make you feel better, but also mm-hmm. it just feels better to get up. And walk around, mm-hmm. even if you feel like, just do like one lap, lap around yeah. the block. Yeah. Um, yeah. I it's annoying. I, like, I, I find it very irritating that it works. But <laughs> it's like, okay, I guess if it works, it works. Yeah. When I had COVID, I did not leave the hotel. Like, I was, I got COVID mm-hmm. and I was in a hotel room and I had to stay in the yeah. hotel room for like 10 days. And I didn't leave the hotel room for that mm-hmm. whole time. It was oh, man. Very bad. Yeah. It, that sounds very difficult. Nah, that's not that's not the life you want to live. But DoorDash exists, so yeah. I had everything that Taco Bell has to offer. <laughs> Did you have a favorite thing from that? <laughs> like, what was the best thing you got from Taco Bell in that I'll time? I'll tell you what. Taco Bell, uh, DoorDash, don't anything crunchy is a no go uh, mm, because yeah. it's gonna it's gonna not be crunchy anymore. So that was mm-hmm. a bit of a disappointment. But honestly, my my favorites remain my favorites. 
you know? Yeah. I just like, uh, I like the chicken taco. I like the, mm-hmm. uh, I like the bean burrito, which is yeah, gross. It's all good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I love this. Yeah. When I was in, when I was in high school, I was very mad when they raised the price of the bean burrito to 39 cents. So that's how old I am. <laughs> Now I'm trying to remember how much the bean burrito was when I was younger. A, but I can is, also imagine being upset about that. <laughs> <laughs> like that's not what you didn't go to Taco Bell for price raises. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is supposed to be a 29 cent burrito. And that's yeah. a normal thing to expect from the world. <laughs> yeah. Oh, terrible. Yeah. Which reminds me that this podcast is brought to you by the 29 cent bean burrito only available in the mid 90s <laughs> Taco Bell in Orlando, Florida. This podcast is also brought to you by Egg, the, the source of all of your best experiments. <laughs> just Egg. Just hook it up. Yes, uh, hook it up to your computer right now. Podcast is also brought to you by Dolphin Blindfolds, uh, available on Amazon.com, so you can do all of the different research that you need to do on your friendly neighborhood cetacean. This podcast is also brought to you by the alien that does the hypotheticals. Like dolphin blindfolds. <laughs> He's so bad. I hate him. <laughs> oh, God. Hypothetically, if you were stuck in a room for 10 days and you had to DoorDash from one place, <laughs> why did you pick Taco Bell? <laughs> I wanted to be sad, you know? Yeah. No, I understand. <laughs> I think Taco Bell is a very good comfort food, especially in COVID times. Like, <laughs> Oh, Lord. So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's sustainable toilet cleaner tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, 
I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. This next sciencey question from our sciencey Dear Hank and John archives is from Leo, who asks Dear Hank and John, I'm wondering if orange peels are airtight. I saw an orange in my dad's car while I was riding to school, and I thought, <laughs> you, just, you just said, yeah, no, okay. <laughs> That's a very funny story to me, to, to tell me right after you asked the question. Yes, you, you were thinking, is, is it airtight around the orange? Um, I've been listening to the pod for about a year. Aries, not a Leo, uh, mm-hmm. from Leo. Are orange peels airtight? Well, is anything. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> important question. <laughs> what is airtight? <laughs> uh, what is airtight? Uh, yeah. Because there's some things you- in the air. There's a few things in the air that are that that are much smaller than most of the things in the air. Right. And, those things will be things will be less airtight to those things yeah. than the other components of the air. Which yeah. Is so I think I think I've decided that they're not airtight. I like spent a few different ways thinking about this. I was like, well, to start off with, I think you can like you can wash an orange like so like it's watertight probably right. Like yeah. I don't think the orange gets wet unless I'm wrong, but like I think you're fine. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, I there's only one way to find out. Mm-hmm. Everyone, wash your oranges right Everybody now. Just dunk your oranges in water, and yeah. then so no. Here's what you have to do: you weigh your orange with a very precise scale, put right. it in water, let it stay there for like two days. No, that's not going to work. Yeah, because it's going to off let it Like yeah, like there's going to be all kinds of different mass yeah. things happening. And then, so the other thing I was wondering about is like whether or not ethylene gas is like a part of orange ripening. Cause I was like, okay, yeah. so ethylene is the gas that is uh, involved in fruits ripening. If it gets past the peel, then we know that it's at least permeable to that gas. Um, but apparently citrus fruits aren't like super like, like they don't really rely as much on ethylene, I think for their ripening. Um, though people do use ethylene to make the color of the peels more even. So maybe there's that. But then finally, I found this paper from 1992 that was comparing the gas permeability of fruits with wax coating, and they were looking at, like, the permeance of them. So that's, like, the the Mm -hmm. actual variable they're looking at. And it turns out that an uncoated, non-refrigerated orange does have, like, a non-zero permeability. It's 100,000-something, like, whatever the units are, milliliters per meters squared times day times atmospheric oh. pressure i think or something oh okay so there is the and then that permeability does go down with a wax coating so okay. basically in some way i think there is 
something permeating the peel. Um, and so they didn't specify kind of what things would be permeating, but I don't think it's airtight. I think, I think it's air. <laughs> if it's atmospheric yeah, yeah. pressure, it's yeah. probably the yeah. atmosphere. Right. How, what, do, do you remember the, the, the actual number? Uh, I think it's 100,000. Um, 100,000? Yeah, which is a very... Um, 100,000 milliliters? 100,000 milliliters per meter squared per day. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, but that's a big meter squared. That is a lot of orange, for sure. A meter square is a lot of a lot of orange peel. It occurs to me that that you could determine if an orange peel is watertight in a very simple way, Deboki, and I'm mm-hmm. ashamed that I did not think of making it into a little cup and then drinking out of it. It's obviously watertight. You can make a little mm-hmm. cup out of an mm-hmm. orange peel and it's not going like, right. to dribble out the bottom. Right. But in the same way, I feel like if I put a, a orange peel up to my mouth and tried to blow through it, I would not be able to. You wouldn't know what's coming out the other side. Probably. But like, something maybe. would be. Some very maybe. small amount of gas probably would be. Yeah, I think. I think it's not going to be completely airtight. And if I did that to, if I had a, if my mouth was like, can you use an orange peel as a mask? Can you breathe through it either? Or would you be completely suffocated? Yes. You could definitely be suffocated by an orange peel. I'm, I'm confident. And I'm going to, that's not what I meant. I want to do the thing where you put the orange peel in your mouth. Mm, Right. You you smile and it's just orange. Yeah. And then blow really hard and see if I can breathe through it. And I bet you yeah. I will not be able to. But yeah. if I had my if my mouth was one meter square and I had a one meter square orange peel and I put my one meter square mouth on that one meter square orange peel and I and I breathed, I could breathe in a hundred thousand milliliters of air over the course of a full day. I think so. Which would not be enough to survive. Yeah. I'm sure that I breathe in way more than a hundred thousand milliliters of air in a day. Yeah. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how much, but I think it's more than that. I think it's more than a hundred liters of air. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So this was not the point of the question, but yes, (laughs) don't breathe through orange peels. (laughs) But, but like there, yeah. I'm glad that we can give terrible life advice, even when it's just (laughs) science questions. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but what what it really comes down to is it would probably seem airtight to us. I think like, so. You could fill an orange peel up with air and it would feel like it was like squishy and like a balloon. Yeah. But then it I think so. depressurize fairly quickly. Yeah. Just like how balloons aren't actually airtight because they mm-hmm. empty yeah. out eventually. What is like, do we know like what the most airtight thing is? I mean, it's got to be just like an airtight thing, but thicker. Yeah. The space station. Yeah. Metal, like a thick sheet of steel, probably pretty Mm -hmm. airtight. Acrylic plastics are probably pretty dang airtight. Yeah. It's probably really to do with the thickness. Like that's probably why balloons don't feel very airtight. Mm -hmm. Because they're very thin. Mm -hmm. Stainless steel is the most durable material for airtight food containers. (laughs) Like uh, cans. Yeah. Cans are pretty dang airtight. So just wrap your orange up in a can. <laughs> Bite into an orange and it just <laughs> steal. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> Leo, I feel like we really helped you in this situation. Yeah. Um, where uh, the, the first thing we need you to know is that none of the words mean anything. Airtight <laughs> is just something that's made up in your head. There's <laughs> yeah. air is so small it can get through anything. Tiny, even an orange peel. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how much air leaks out of the International Space Station every year. Rate of 0.6 pounds of air per day. Wow. By August 2020, the problem had increased fivefold. Oh. Oh, so there's actually a leak. There's a leak. They used astronauts plug leak on the International Space Station with the help of floating tea leaves. Everybody be very still. (laughs) I'm going to waste some tea. Don't make any, (laughs) turn off all the fans. They they probably had to turn off all the fans. Yeah. See which way the tea leaves started going. I love that. I want to. I want to watch the the little mini series. Yeah, they have several photos and videos of the direction of the tea bag's flight or where it intended to fly, and this precisely shows the direction the air is blowing from the possible air leak. So yeah, they used the tea to figure out where it was, and then they taped it, as you would actually. Expect. <laughs> they didn't use tea leaves to tape it. Up. Yeah, <laughs> and then they just they like got their spit on the leaves and just yeah. pushed it in there. Yeah, I bet. Though that the the space station would, even if it were perfectly airtight, still lose some air. So yeah, by which I mean not perfectly airtight. But that would be a very good way to test because mm-hmm. there's a big pressure differential. <laughs> yeah, in, in those two situations, sure is. Though there's big prefer- bigger pre- pressure differentials right here on Earth. Sometimes, like in the boiler mm-hmm. of a power plant, way bigger than that. All right, this next question comes from Vivian, who asks, Dear Hank and Devoki, some uh, friends and I were talking. Two of my friends <laughs> mentioned how horrible ants smell. They said that ants smell like rotten cherry chocolate. I have never smelled an ant, <laughs> uh, voluntarily or otherwise. Why can some people smell ants, and why do I not smell anything? A very important <laughs> ant question, Vivian. Devoki to ant smell? Yeah, yeah, apparently. This is like my favorite kind of Dear Hank and John question because I saw it and I was like, that's not a thing. And then I looked it up and it's like, that's a thing. Like apparently (laughs) ants smell like formic acid. And I don't know what formic acid smells like. I don't know if you do. No. But apparently it's a thing that only some people can smell. What? What? Yeah. So to some people, apparently it smells like blue cheese. Other people, it smells like citronella. It's probably just a genetics thing, whether or not you're one of those lucky, I guess, people who can smell it. But yeah, that is that is the ant smell. That's the ant smell. I mean, I've been around ants plenty. I've been formic acid is the stuff that fire ants put in you that mm-hmm. burns and makes you itchy. Um, and so I've trust me, I've <laughs> I've had it in me before, but I've never <laughs> smelled it. That's yeah. so weird. Yeah, so I was so curious, like, for everyone who smells ants, like, how many ants does it take for you to smell? Like, like if you if there's just one ant around, are you like, there's an ant? Or how many ants do there have to be for you to realize this? It apparently smell also them. smells like vinegary, which makes sense with blue cheese. Mm-hmm. And it's only smellable by some people. Wow. I love that. And there, I also love the idea of just feeling like you're totally being gaslit by your friends. Where <laughs> yeah. they're just like, oh, ants smell so bad. Like, what are we going to yeah. do to Vivian? What are we going to yeah. say? Yeah. You're gonna not going to trick that- me. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I I would totally not believe someone if they told me that ants smell. So nope. I, apologies to all of the hypothetical people I didn't believe because apparently, according to the internet, you're you're all right and ants smell. <laughs> oh Lord. All right, that was an easy one. <laughs> and this question comes from Nola, who asks, Dear Hank and Deboki, why can't humans drink river water anymore? Like chimpanzees, they got no problem drinking from natural bodies of water. So at what point in our evolution did we lose this ability to deal with the whatever bad stuff is in the water? Do other animals have this problem, or is it just us? Not the city, Nola. Uh, I'm going to venture a guess that well, I think there's a there's a bunch of stuff going on here, mm-hmm. but waterborne pathogens are not just a problem for people. No, <laughs> they're a problem for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> they... I, I think that there are reasons why it can be worse for people and particularly because we tend to live in really high densities of people. And so we can kind of there could be just a, like there's more human pathogens going into the water source. And so you're more likely to to get it. But yeah, I mean animals get and there's all kinds of stuff that we're dealing with here so so like yeah there's there's uh chemical things that you don't want to eat that might be in water that's probably the thing that if you're just talking about river water is not that much of a concern yeah. unless you're near like a, a old mine or something and right. then there are um bacteria and there are parasites and there are uh viruses and there are uh, like single cell parasites and, um, you know, like mm-hmm. eggs of bad things. So, uh, yeah, you, you, there, there's, there's all kinds of different things that can live in water and, and make use of your body. And yeah. those are the things to be worried about. And that is a thing that happens for lots of animals. Yeah. And so like, I think sort of a parallel maybe to what you were saying in terms of human density for animals, I think the parallel to that is watering holes. So it's not quite Mm. river, but a lot of animals, you know, they go to a shared kind of watering spot. And so that does actually lead to diseases spreading between the different animals that are gathering there. Um, But one of the things for animals is that they're going to these rivers and these waters over the course of their whole lives. And so over the course of their lifetime, they're probably exposed to a lot of microbes at a low level. So that gives them exposure. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that might help actually build up some of their immunity. So I feel like that's sort of reminds me for me, like I, I go, I used to go to India every summer and like my family, like they grew up in India so they can drink the water in India. I cannot drink the water in India without having problems. So like, I, I don't know if this is like sort of the similar kind of mechanism. I assume it's kind of the same thing where it's like you're exposed to that water over a lifetime where you've built up that immunity, which is why you shouldn't try to just go do that now. Like if you've Mm -hmm. grown up not drinking that water, you shouldn't be like, I'm going to get that fancy immunity now. Like, but if you've grown up with it, you might have that low lying exposure. And yet at the same time, you're still at a higher risk for a lot of the other things that are in the water, just because it might have other stuff going on that you can't build that immunity to. Right. Yeah. Everybody is at risk, but some people are at more risk. This, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is such an interesting topic. The, the sort of, um, like I, there, there's a uh, a sort of meme that if you'd never brushed your teeth, you wouldn't have to brush your teeth. This is not true, but there is truth in it. 
So mm-hmm. if you never brushed your teeth, you might have like sort of a more broadly successful and competitive microbiome in your mouth where there there isn't like one species of bacteria that's sort of doing a lot of damage. But you are going to have more problems if you don't brush your teeth than if you do. But you mm-hmm. may also you may have even more problems if you start out brushing your teeth and then stop. And mm-hmm. so people like we get a question all the time, like, what did people do before like dental hygiene? And the, the you know, the the simple answer is they had huge dental problems. But the complicated answer is they maybe had fewer dental problems than if you brushed your teeth and then stopped and then didn't ever brush your teeth again. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is exactly what happened with polio, which was a disease that was around and uh, and was not really sort of at epidemic levels because people were exposed early on in their lives. And then when we sort of got hygiene, uh, mm-hmm it became you you would be exposed to polio later on in your life and then it became a bigger problem because it it you know because of yeah. the particular pathology of polio and right. uh and so like you can say to that well we shouldn't have done hygiene um <laughs> uh but no uh and yeah. and you know and, and the remarkable thing is then we've created a new problem for ourselves and then mm-hmm. we solved that problem for ourselves yeah. with the polio vaccine so it's uh, it's just one big long story of trying to be a person. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and also you take people. care of one thing, and, <laughs> and something else just comes up. Yeah. yeah, but like hygiene overall is good, even if it yep. led to an increase in polio that we then had to conquer in another way. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, why don't you do Mars news, and I'll try to find something about AFC Wimbledon. <laughs> we'll pull up the Mars news. I really liked this Mars news. It actually has a little bit of the feel of yeah, fixing the International Space Station with tea leaves, but just a little different. Um, so this week in Mars news, NASA scientists and Lockheed Martin space engineers, uh, they solved the mystery of the missing Mars orbital fuel. So the Odyssey rover was built by Lockheed Martin and was launched in 2001, and it doesn't have a fuel gauge. So when scientists are tracking it, they have to rely on math and various tests to figure out how much hydrazine propellant is still left from the original 500 pounds that was sent up with the orbiter. So they do this by heating up two propellant tanks to see how long it takes for them to reach a set temperature. And the emptier the tank, the faster it reaches that set temperature. But recent tests in 2021 and 2022 suggested that the orbiter had less propellant than expected and that it would be running out in less than a year, which Mm. is kind of worrisome. So Mm -hmm. the scientists from JPL and Lockheed Martin Space worked together with a spacecraft propellant estimation consultant named Boris Yendler, uh, who suggested (laughs) – I just really like that job. That's great. There's one. They had a a huge – a bunch of people applied for that job. Yeah. Uh, He's got the phone, like, on ready. He's like, this is my time. Does anybody anybody need any space propellant estimation? 
solution because it's all I know how to do. Yeah. So Yendler suggested that the problem might be coming from some other source on the Odyssey, which might be adding heat to the fuel, which is causing the temperature to rise too fast during all of those fuel tank heating tests. So when they looked further, the scientists found that there were actually heaters on the fuel line that were warming up the propellant tanks, and those were messing up the results of the test. So taking into those account, so taking those heaters into account, they were able to estimate that the Odyssey has nine pounds of hydrazine left, which could allow it to operate for at least a few more years. That's great. Did we, were, should they have put a fuel gauge on it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know if the orbiters you know. now have a fuel gauge. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know how I don't know how you would measure it. You can't do it by weight. Yeah. You can't like weigh it. it there's, there's no, there, there's no gravity. Yeah. I don't know if you're just like, well, we've got math. <laughs> math will help yeah. us. It'll, it'll do it. We'll just, if all worse comes to worse, we'll go for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like clearly they knew because they like set up the infrastructure to run these tests to be able to yeah. gauge how much fuel there is. But that's very yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, in news from AFC Wimbledon, um, uh, well, here's what I can tell you. Apparently, we need to win some games before oh, no. the end of the before the end of the 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 um, uh, season so that we can still be in League Two and not lose. Uh, we uh, AFC Wimbledon is now at its 16th place, and I have great news. They won a game. See, what usually happens with AFC Wimbledon is that they score one goal, and it's one to zero, and then the other team scores two goals. And that did happen a couple of games back, or just one game back. That was the m- most recent one. But then we did a remarkable thing where AFC Wimbledon went up 1-0, and then they went up 2-0, and then the game ended. Oh wow! Yeah, do they 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 just call the game to an end? They're like, we're up. No, <laughs> this is ending. That's how it works, right? <laughs> then the clock continued to tick <laughs> yeah. until the game ended, yeah. uh, which is the thing that you want to have happen. But they did yeah. they did it go from one nil down, one nil up to two two one down again. Which yeah. I, I don't know if you've been listening to Boki, but the, AFC Wimbledon has now done that more than any other team. Ever more than any in other the history of English soccer or some oh, some man. stat like that. That's wild. I'm glad that they found a way to not do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now they gotta just do won. it again. <laughs> and it was also it was a team that's higher than them in the, the rankings. That's what I always look at. When they like right. win a game, yeah. I like make sure. Because if it's like the last place team, I'm like, well, they were gonna win that game. Yeah. But yeah. it was, you know, it's a team that, that's so high, where is AFC Wimbledon in the rankings? They're 16th. In uh, of of twenty four, okay. okay, and there's like points that they get, yeah. And AFC Wimbledon has uh, forty six points, and to be uh, if they were to be in the bottom, they would need to have thirty six points. Okay, so they're like so ten they're... points out of relegation right now, which is good. That's good. That's but they good. do have to keep winning some games, so it's good that we won a game against Walsall. Walsall, yeah, that's a great name. Oh, they're all great. <laughs> yeah. The the next two down. So between AFC Wimbledon and and Walsall are Tranmere, which is just like it's exactly the same thing as Walsall for some reason. Uh-huh. Like huh. Tranmere and Walsall are the same. They just <laughs> like they feel the same, they or they are the, feel oh, the same. They feel the same because they have the same. Do they have the brain. same number of po- points? Uh, they do have the same number of points, but yeah. Do, my brain, Tranmere and Walsall. Has feel- anyone seen them in the same room? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and then the next one, uh, just above AFC Wimbledon, is Grimsby Town. <laughs> That's great. That's amazing. <laughs> I love it. All right, Devoki, thank you for making a podcast with me uh, while John continues to recover and also, I think, is doing some fun thing. If you want to send us your questions, you can do that at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We don't have a podcast without your questions. Thank you very much for your science questions in particular. Those are always very fun for me and Devoki to work on. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedich. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Brooke Shotwell. Our editorial assistant, as always, is Debuki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome.